Now, I can't hear you, but I'm just going to trust that you're participating on this one. I'm going to say it. Happy Sabbath. There we go. That was wonderful. Thank you. I miss you guys. I'm sure that it's mutual, and uh, we're looking forward to the day when, when we can gather back together in person. But for now, again, I just want to extend my gratitude to you for making these gatherings a priority. For some of you, that's like, oh, that's not even a question. Church is something I'm never going to miss. And uh, for those who have that, that kind of ingrown ethic, I uh, applaud you and I admire you because there are many of us who it's one of those things where church is great when it's the way I like it and when it's not, or maybe not exactly the way I prefer, it's easy to have it get lost by the wayside. And um, the, One of the beautiful things during this season where there's frankly, not a ton of beauty to be found at different moments, um, is that uh, our, our church has really engaged this live stream worship service in a powerful way, that you might be at home alone or with your immediate family or with a small group of family and friends, but just know that every Sabbath when you tune in live, you're tuning in with a couple hundred of your church family, and we're all together in one accord worshiping our God. It's a wonderful thing to, to do. Our uh, sermon title today is uh, Let There Be Light. I want to invite you to have a word of prayer with me before we begin. Father in heaven, your goodness to us endures forever. And in some moments that's easier to see than others. In some moments that's easier to feel than others. But it is never less true. So we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the unseen mercies that are extended to us and to all around us. We ask that during this moment you enable us to let go and to engage with you and to be encountered with your presence. Guide my words today and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. A sermon title like this, excuse me, I'll grab a drink of water real quick sermon title like this. You have to know that we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1. You see, before, as you all know, before God begins his creative work in the world to create the optimal safe place for humanity to thrive, the earth is described as being without form and void, with darkness covering the face of the deep. This was planet Earth as God shifted his attention to it. And once he turns his creative attention to this planet, the very first thing God does is to speak the words, let there be light. And there was light. I'm not a scientist, so I won't take time to explain why this makes perfect sense, why light is essential for life. That's another lecture from another teacher. But in order to grasp what I believe to be present truth for us today, we must acknowledge this, that the first step in making this planet an optimal, safe place for humans to thrive is to let there be light. God's creation was good. It was flawless. This earth was an optimal, safe place for humans to thrive. And yet it didn't last, did it? 
Humans chose to define good and evil for themselves and immediately plunged the good creation into darkness. Throughout the pages of the Old Testament, a frequent metaphor for the chaotic evil in this world is darkness, while the gracious intrusion of God into the world is described as light. As the pages of the Old Testament come to a close, there are two competing emotions for the reader. The first one is despondency. The reader would go despondent. Every good thing humanity has done has come undone, often at the very hand that originally did the good. The world is in darkness, and there doesn't seem to be a way to change that. And the other emotion is hope, hopefulness. God has promised to do a mighty work in humanity in the world. Some of the last words from the prophet Malachi speak of this hope. In Malachi chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, the son of righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. An act of God promised to come and put all things to right. The sun of righteousness rising, light breaking through the night. Which brings us to the story of Jesus. The metaphorical language of light and darkness from the Old Testament is used extensively by Jesus himself, as well as those recording his story. The Gospel according to John famously opens by referring to Jesus as the Word, yet a few sentences later, John employs another title for Jesus, the light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light gives light to everyone. In his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus declares this judgment, John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the judgment, Jesus says, the light has come into the world. People loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In John chapter 8, a little bit later, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. And then he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the life of Jesus, we see God once again graciously intruding into the darkness of this world and saying, let there be light. God, once again, is actively creating a safe place for humans to thrive. But that's not all. Because in Jesus' teaching known as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. Jesus says to those hearing him, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket 
but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So yes, Jesus is the light of the world, but so are we? How can this be? Well, reflecting on this reality, the Apostle Paul would later write this in his letter to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 5, he begins this in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. When we become sons and daughters of God by and through the grace of Jesus, we also, by definition, become children of light. We are as candles lit from the original source of fire, if you will. To, to summarize where we've been so far, we've been moving a little bit rapidly, but to summarize where we've been, we can say this. In order to create an optimal, safe, an optimal safe place for humans to thrive, God first spoke the words, let there be light. And when humanity invited darkness into God's good world, it was no longer the optimal safe place for humans to thrive. Every effort humans made to expel darkness and bring in light was flawed and short-lived. If there was a solution to the problem, human effort wasn't it. God, in the person of Jesus, intervened and brought the light of the world to live with fallen humanity. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, a way was made for humans to be once again sons and daughters of God and children of the light. As children of light, we are to walk, we are to live differently than when we were darkness. We're to pursue what is good and right and true. We are to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. To take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, we're to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. These are things that we can do to make here an optimal, safe place for humans to thrive. Certainly there is more to be said about the Christian walk than these four things, but this gives us plenty to consider today. Paul says that we are to walk as children of light, pursuing what is good and right and true and producing like fruit. No doubt, the, moral, the obvious moral tenets of biblical teaching apply here. Sexual purity, no murder, no deceit, no theft, etc. But there are other plain elements of biblical morality that historically have not been talked about as much in Western Christian churches. Things like care for the vulnerable, not participating in oppression, and fighting injustice. 
Isaiah chapter 9 records a messianic prophecy that utilizes the metaphors of light and darkness. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, we read this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, Isaiah writes, a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's a beautiful, beautiful statement of how Jesus was bringing light into darkness. But see, the rest of Isaiah chapter 9 prophetically describes how God's chosen people have embraced the darkness of arrogance and oppression. The passage culminates with the prophetic judgment on those who embraced the darkness. Isaiah chapter 10 Verses 1 through 4 read this way. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil, that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment and the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger has not turned away. His hand is stretched out still. This feeds into Paul's second point of instruction. We are to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The easiest way to go about this, of course, is to read his word where he has told us a great deal of what does please him. You know, we do well as a community holding in high regard a great deal of the moral teachings that no doubt please Jesus our King. But it has become clear that we as individuals and institutions need to grow in our emphasis of the complete picture. It would do us all good to spend some thoughtful time in God's word, witnessing that what most often raises the ire of God is not sexual sin, but neglect or oppression of the vulnerable. But what do we do specifically? How do I learn what Jesus would have me do in 2020, Beaverton, Oregon, USA? Well, thankfully... Jesus is not an aloof, impersonal entity. He isn't hiding from us. In fact, he wants to spend time and connect with us. The principles of discernment in our other relationships should inform our relationship with Jesus as well. 
we rarely grow in understanding anyone without time spent talking with and, most importantly, listening to them. The same goes with Jesus. If we are to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, we not only need to be um, spending time regularly with what he has given us in his written word, but also spending time regularly with him as the person of Jesus. The Jesus followers' quest to bring light to darkness necessarily includes Bible reading and prayerful conversation. Paul says that we are to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Again, this is a broad and general instruction from Paul, but in considering the very real biblical Christian ethic of caring for the vulnerable and fighting injustice, there's much for us to consider here. Few of us have much opportunity to overtly oppress others in major ways. But the vast majority of us, myself definitely included, participate in oppressive systems at a secondary or tertiary level. We purchase food, clothing, shoes, and a myriad of other products that would not exist, at least not at their current price point, without compromised ethics somewhere in the production process. Our hands don't feel as dirty being a few steps removed from the most flagrant injustices, but that does not mean that they are clean. We enjoy a blissful ignorance about much of this, but there is very real suffering and oppression in this world that we participate in by being part of it, part of that system. We ought to begin learning about the process our products come from and grow in our efforts to avoid participating in the unfruitful works of darkness. We ought to take a thoughtful and prayerful look in our closet, in our pantry, in our pockets, and begin the lengthy and complicated journey to participating less and less in the parts of our economic and social structures that perpetuate injustice. And yet, the work of light is not done. Paul says that we are to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that Jesus is calling us to be internet conspiracy vigilantes, pushing information to our family and friends about the latest atrocity that a government or a church or a celebrity is perpetrating on the world. That's not how light drives darkness away. But how does light drive darkness away. Considering this, I thought of a, a time back, I'm pretty sure it was in eighth grade at Portland Adventist Elementary School. My classmate was Tim Brandis, and he had a great sense of humor. And uh, this, this particular time, don't ask me why I remember so much of this, but it was a, a, a church, or, excuse me, not church, it was a, a choir class period. And uh, it was one of those beautiful choir class periods when you are after the, the spring program, and so there's nothing really to work on, and so they would put a, a movie on for you. It's like one of the last few days of school. So there was a movie on, I, I don't know why, it was The Secret of Nim. Like, that sticks in my head. I just remember that. That was one of the things. So we're in the choir room. The lights are all out, and we're all watching a movie together. Somebody had to get up to use the restroom, and they opened the door, 
and that stream of light from the hallway came in. And I remember my friend Tim next to me just yelling out at them, hey, close the door, you're letting the dark out. And it made me laugh, it still makes me laugh today. But we all kind of, we laugh because we know that's not what was happening. Dark wasn't leaving the room. Light was coming in. How does light drive darkness away? Light drives darkness away by its presence. Many have pointed out the irony of the uh, stereotypical Western church avoiding sinners at great cost while claiming to follow someone who is predominantly known in his time for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Myself included, we have a tendency to avoid darkness and some kind of fear that will get some on us. But when light encounters darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. If we are the light of the world, and if we wish darkness to go away in our world, then our intellectual, emotional, and physical being must enter areas of darkness and bring the light of the world that is shining within us. We overcome darkness by bringing Jesus into it. And we cannot do that while being absent. I fear this message has been a little overwhelming to hear. And I fear this because it's been overwhelming to write and to preach. <laughs> There's much darkness to trouble us in our world. You don't have to look very far to see that. This is not an optimal, safe place for humans to thrive everywhere. But our Lord and Savior, Jesus, has called us to follow him in this world while we wait on the perfect timing of the Father for Jesus to return and make all things new. And so those who follow Jesus find themselves in the tension of the now and not yet. The kingdom of heaven is here, present in all who acknowledge Jesus as king, and yet the king has not returned to complete his perfect plan of salvation and redemption. And so the follower of Jesus exists as a light in the world, representing the light of the world. To them, Jesus says, let your light shine. Let your light shine. Discover and rediscover the heart of God for the vulnerable and the oppressed. Spend thoughtful time in prayer considering how you can grow closer to his heart. Talk with him. Listen to him. Commit to learning how to participate less and less with the unfruitful works of darkness. And bring your light to areas of darkness. Listen to the vulnerable and the oppressed. Resist assuming that you know their heart, their mind, and their story. Listen to them. Ask them how you can love them better. And remember that the presence of light drives darkness away. So strive to be present. I invite you to pray with me. Father, our prayer today let
of songs, I want to invite you to continue worshiping with us.
won't be wanting I won't be wanting He makes me rest in fields of green with quiet stream. Even though I walk through the valley of death and dying, I will not thank you that life with you indeed is like having you as our shepherd you provide our needs you protect us you give us guidance you correct us when we go away and your goodness is always running after us and you've prepared a place for us with you forever God I ask that you cultivate within us a burning desire to bring wherever we go rest in fields of green with quiet streams. The good life that you have for us, may that light shine out from us and drive darkness away. 
guide us, this, this world that we live in and the life that you've called us to is worth it, but it's not easy. It's complicated. So may we not give up, and may we intentionally pursue you. And thank you in advance that as we pursue you, we find that you've been pursuing us long before. Be with us the rest of the Sabbath, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.